fish on. Hey, Radcast is on. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. From the Porter's 10Cast Studio, here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards, and I'm here in the Porter's 10Cast Studio with David Merrill. You haven't got rid of me yet. Nope, not yet. So I think we'll keep him around for a little while. But we've got a special guest today. We've got Mr. Brian Tucker in. How are you doing, Brian? Good, guys. How are we doing this morning? Doing good. It's been a little bit since we've had a little sit-down and a little chat. It has. It has. Things have been a little bit crazy the last few months for, for everyone, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. How's how's things going over at High Mountain? I know you guys have been kind of kind of under the gun and busy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So this time of year, it's kind of our slower season just because it's, uh, you know, summertime. So, sure. But with everything opening back up and the uncertainty, everything, everybody wants their own product. They want to make sure they're full. They want to make sure they're stocked up in case something happens. We're going bonkers. I mean, it's <laughs> we've got orders right now that we don't get normally in a year from a customer in the fall. It's So things are great for us. It's just yeah. one of those, you know, it was unanticipated. I, I know Patrick does, and I have too, so some little porkers. They're mm-hmm. getting ready, and I'm going to... I'm going to do some bacon for, for a change. I'm going to make my own. We are seeing, like I said, mm-hmm. we were talking a little while ago about that. Those sales are starting to skyrocket. You know, with all these pigs that these producers can't get rid of, that they're selling it pretty much next to nothing or giving away, that all these um, consumers can pick up pretty cheap, but they're not cured, so they're doing their own. You know, they're doing bacon, their own sausage, their own hams. Um, our general manager just made a ham with one of our cures. We actually have instructions to do ham with a bacon cure. And it was phenomenal. He brought it in. I was like, I've mm. never done it myself. It looked professional, and it tasted fantastic. So I mean, so if you're out there and you're hungry, try out High Mountain Seasonings. Whatever protein source that you have, yep. they have something to go with it. Oh, yeah. Yep. If you need any suggestions, too, always ask. Because I mean, one of the fun parts of the job is just because it says it's one thing, like venison rub, doesn't mm-hmm. mean it can't go on your vegetables or eggs or anything like oh, that. Yeah. Too. So it's it's so versatile. It's you yeah, can put it on anything. No, that's pretty much. I'm <laughs> waiting to hear. I mean, David might try it, put it on ice cream, but we'll see. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> You can put some of it. I'll tell you what. If you want to spice up some vegetables, if yeah. you're doing some roasted vegetables in the oven, get some seasoning for that, man. Yeah. That's good. Yep. I've done a tour of the Tabasco uh, facility down there in Louisiana, mm-hmm. and they're sitting on a huge salt mine. Right? Really? Oh, it's crazy. So that's, it's basically like this underground volcano of mm-hmm. salt. And the ocean keeps pushing more salt up. Keeps so replenishing. It never they, goes away. Yeah, yeah, they just have, but and they have their own fields there where they pick their own peppers right mm-hmm. there around the. That's perfect. But they have like 51 flavors of ice cream, and they got Tabasco-flavored ice cream. I've heard of that. And it's actually good. Is it really? It's That's pretty interesting. good. See, I've heard of that, and like, huh. I mean, not Tabasco, but like dill pickle ice cream. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I, I don't know if I could wrap my head around that one. I'm, it's just, I don't know. Hey, uh, you can always try it. Right. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm not going to like it or it's ice cream and I still eat it. Anyway. You, can al- you can always try it. You can yeah. always try my, it. My inner fat kid's coming out. Yeah, oh, we're, yeah. we're good. So today, you know, we, we, we wanted to bring you in. We know you're doing some outdoor filming. Yep. Yep. So my uh, best friend and I got hooked up with a show that High Mountain sponsors about four years ago. It's called Love of the Hunt TV and the Pursuit Channel. And it's been an eye-opening experience to say the least. You know, you see these guys on TV and it's like, oh, that's awesome. They get a hunt for a living. There is so much more that goes in behind the scenes on this that it's not just like turn the camera on, shoot the animal, you know. Get paid to go out uh, and go home and and sit and and put your feet up. Yeah, these guys, they put in some time. I mean, you see the big names like a Jim Shockey, you know, he's – 
the time that man, that man has put in to earn where he is at, my hat's off to him. It's o- only somebody that's behind the camera, behind the scenes, actually transitioning from location to A to B. Yep, can fully appreciate and understand. And that's where he and I have gotten um, kind of acclimated with all of it because we were sent the camera and said film everything. We had zero training, we had no f- um, film school, none of that. So we're trying to film everything we can. You know, we're watching these shows like. What are they showing that we mm-hmm. need to get? And then realizing we have to film the same thing two or three or four times to make sure it's the right shot, the right angle, the right lighting. I mean, I always use the analogy of, you know, you see these guys walking through a mud puddle and you see that boot hit perfectly and that like picturesque step or whatever. That's an hour of your time. Oh right my there. gosh. Yeah. You can't, I mean, <laughs> for that one three second clip of film. Oh, that's just it. They would, we figure for, you know, most shows have a half hour block. And so you add in commercials, anything else in there, you've got about 20 minutes of footage on TV. You're probably minimum four to five hours of filming for one episode. And it's everything. Like We put my wife on camera because she had a deer tag a couple years ago. And boy, did she get annoyed with me. I'm like, you have to reload the gun again. Like, work the bolt. I had to get so many different angles just to show the correct, you know. And this, it's, it is what it is. got to get the shot. If you don't have it, you're kind of wasting your time with the camera. Yeah, but if that cameraman's over my shoulder and says, uh, I don't have it, you, I'm shooting, my friend. Well, you, that's, you, yeah, <laughs> I forget you. That's just it. Like, I've <laughs> talked to, like, the Eastmans out of Powell, and uh-huh. um, Ike, I've heard him say before, the best way to ruin a good hunt is to bring a cameraman. Yep. Because as a cameraman, I've got to expose myself to get the shot, which then can alert the animals. And then so Trapper may have an issue, you know, or vice versa, being able to take the shot because they see me with the camera moving around because I'm, you know, you want to be sitting still, but I've got this giant black thing, you know, sitting on a tripod. We're squatted down. And, I'm <laughs> and it needs like, to be another foot higher to clear <laughs> yes, the brush so that yes. you get the... And yes, I, as as a connoisseur of some hunting shows, not seeing the kill shot is is a mortal sin, right? It's like, well, I didn't get to see it happen. Right. When we actually just had one air this week. So the Hunting with Heroes program here in Wyoming, we've gotten hooked up with. It. Which and is so a great program, by is. the way. If anybody yeah, hasn't definitely. heard about it and understand what it is, basically... You know, the organization, the nonprofit brings mm-hmm. in a sponsored hero and they get donated tags and donated guide time. And right. it's all it's all nonprofit. And they take these guys out and they put them on basically best hunts ever. Right. Better than what you and I can do. Oh, yeah. That's but right. Right. Definitely. So he and I guide for the elk side of it. So since we get oh, hooked cool. up with the TV show, we always film that as, if we can, you know, because it's it's a great PR for that program, you know, and it's, you know. Giving back to these yeah, guys. But now, now you've added a third wheel to the whole. Right. <laughs> now right. you got the guide, the client, and, and the, the cameraman. cameraman. Yep. Yep. So um, we actually had that air. I think the episode aired again last night even. And the guy was lucky enough. He had an antelope tag and an elk tag. So we had a snow, massive snowstorm come in two years ago. And we couldn't see where we were at in the mountains. We knew he had an antelope tag. So we went and filled the antelope tag, filmed it. Great hunt. Perfect. Picturesque. Well, we get back up on the mountain for the elk. It happens so fast that I wasn't able to get the camera on. Like, they had to take off and get in position to shoot. And in a hunt like that, I'm not going to tell the guy, don't pull the trigger. This is their hunt. Yeah. I'm not going to say, don't do it. You're just there to document it if it happens. If it great. happens. And so that still made the show, but, like, these guys um, with Love of the Hunt TV, you know, the guys that produce it, edit it, you know, they did a great job of commentary. So, you, guys, you know, sometimes things just happen. Like, it happens so fast, like this situation. I couldn't get there with the camera because I would have had to cut the hunter off. And then he loses the chance to shot. He had about a five-second window. And he was able to pull off the shot. Hmm. He killed the elk, which was awesome. That's, that's cool. The, and that's the point of the hunt, you know. And so, yeah, unfortunately, they don't get to see us pull the trigger on the kill shot. 
but we do get to cover it up a little bit and explain what happens. We, we all don't get to hunt private ranches where, you know, five mm-hmm. minutes later we can call another herd bull in. Right, And, right. by the way, there's nobody else pressuring those elk. There's no other hunters. Right. Yeah, the public land is a little different than what you see on TV. Oh, it is for sure. And even some of these ranches here locally, some of these guys let everyone go. So you're running into... Oh yeah, fifteen guys or t- or, or, oh, or some whatever. Oh, walk in ranches. That, yeah. It is public land. <laughs> right, everybody knows right. that. Hey, I'm going to go and they want to get rid of the animals that are eating their crops. So exactly. they're like, yeah, come on in, kill whatever. Yep, yep. So it's so stuff like that's heartbreaking when you're running a camera. But the best part of it is the goal to get the hunter the the animal, especially in a situation like that. You know, if it was trapper and myself, we'll try again. You know, we'll wait. We'll make sure we. I mean, because that's what the camera's there for. Mm-hmm. And uh, but these guys, yeah, I mean, we've and, had and we're fortunate enough in Wyoming where you know we can. Get I've, I've hunted. I've hunted other states yeah. where you you pass up an opportunity on an elk, you're done for the week. Right. That's it. Right. Exactly. And so it's there's so many things that just go into like I tell people you know that have seen the show that have um, I've talked to here locally and across the country and it's just what got you into filming. So um, High Mountain sponsors the TV show. We're a sponsor of Love of the Hunt TV. And I got to know the show um, host with his companies and through trade shows and everyone. And they were wanting a Western, like... Segment on their show. Right, because they're out of Pennsylvania. So they're tree stands, wooded timber, archery, you know, turkeys, 50-yard max type shots. They wanted the Western element. We're out here practicing in the summertime to make sure the shots are lethal and, you know, ethical, five, six, seven hundred yards. And so we're, we've got multiple kills on camera that weren't retakes. They were the one shot. We didn't have to do it because of the practice. They were well over 600 yards. And so open country, total different hunting style versus sitting in a tree stand or we can't bait here where other states allow, you know, piles of corn or a feeder. And so it was just a different element and it's just, it's exciting, you know. Um, Talking to these guys, some of the highest rated shows they've had in recent years were these Western hunts where we've put, I mean, two giant, not giant, but two big antelope bucks on the ground. But then the fact that it's Love of the Hunt TV you know, we're not just after the trophy. I mean, everyone sees a big animal, that's what they would prefer to kill. But we also have doe tags. We're filling our freezers. We're filling families' freezers, too. And so I got doe tags. Right. Yeah, I mean, and that's, me just, that's just it. It's, I mean, the everyday hunter is not just killing the 200-inch mule deer, you know, the 350 or bigger class bull elk. It's, they're shooting a cow. They're shooting a doe because they're feeding their families. And then that's the cool part with us because we have a butcher block segment on the show where we're going to give you tips on how to process, you know, what we think, you know, field prep, stuff like that, where a lot of these other shows are, you know, we're glassing, we're killing the big animal, it's day three, we're back in the last, so anything like that, which is great. You know, these are dream hunts for everybody. I would love to do these someday, but we're. I feel like we're down to the nitty-gritty of, like, this is actually what a lot of hunters, you know, the majority of hunters in the country <clears throat> do, you know. Yeah, yeah I'm walking. Yeah, one one of the questions I had is, where all do you guys do the filming? Is it just in Wyoming, or are you traveling around the region? So, like for Trapper and myself, most of our stuff that we film is here in Wyoming. You know, it's such a big, broad area, and being from the you know from here, mm-hmm. I mean, we're thirty minutes from an elk unit 
an antelope unit, a deer unit, if we're lucky enough to draw the tags. Hey, hey, you got to quit selling it up so much. We want to keep right? it. I <laughs> know, right? Exactly, exactly. You're it's right, 30 below and the wind blows every day. That everyone. is true, yes. And so <laughs> sometimes you get gun malfunctions and it just sucks sitting out there in the blind, right? And we have lots of rattlesnakes and grizzly bears. <laughs> Why, Wyoming, wolves, don't come wolves, to Wyoming. Yeah, right. go, go to Colorado. Right, yes, yes, and take the grizzlies with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so most of our stuff is here locally. You know, I've gone on other hunts with this show like in Pennsylvania honey turkeys and things like that and other shows we sponsor with high mountain you know I've gone like you know searched out like other states to see if it would be a possibility or we filmed fishing shows or anything like that but for us for what we primarily do it's here within you know Wyoming itself and sure because it's like you said you're not going to get much more western than than the state of Wyoming and that's the cool part for the tv show itself so yeah yeah what's a you know, I talk to people who do filming. Mm-hmm. What What is it about outdoors filming that's got all these other people jumping into it? Because I, like, if you go on YouTube, you know this mm-hmm. really well, but everybody seems to think that they can go out and make a show. And, you know, I see stuff that's really pretty good. Right. And I see stuff that's really bad. Yep. So what do you think is kind of sensationalized this for people and is getting people into it? I think, I mean, there's a few things. I mean, there's people that like to educate, you know, hunters. Like, this is mm-hmm. why I do it the way I do. You know, just if someone doesn't know, just sure. to help out. But there's also the others that are on the flip side of the coin where they want the celebrity status. They want the, they want to be recognized. Oh, I saw you on TV, you know. And, you know, and, that, and some people, I mean, David's been at these trade shows. And you've seen these guys walking around. You know who I'm talking about. That some of these guys are on TV. We're, we're not going to name names. We won't throw names out. But there are some of these that have egos that are like, I do this, I do that. And it's like, yep. So I, I will I will say, you know, I got to meet Jason Harrison two different times, got to sit down and have lunch with him. And, you know, there's a lot of people that had some opinions about him. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're if you're going to perform at an NFL level quarterback mm-hmm. or, you know, tight end or whatever, you're going to play in the NFL. You're right. going to have a little bit of an ego, but yeah. but you've got something to, you know, back it up and prove right. that you're you're in right. that one percent. Right. But sitting down and talking with the guy yeah. and he. I mean, any any NFL player, like I said, is going to have a little bit of that ego, but his was in check, and I I enjoyed talking with him. Now, others in this industry, there's some that have. I mean, they they hunt the same type of animals we do, and they're just lucky enough that they've been able to create a show out of it, which you yep. know, good for them. But I've watched. I've been. I know I've been with High Mountain for seven years now, and I've been to so many of these shows, and you see these celebrity hunters that are out there, and you watch, and I see the ones that'll stop, they'll ignore an adult, and they'll sit there and talk to a little kid. Those are the ones you're going to see that are like down to earth. They're trying to preserve the heritage. They're taking the time for that younger yeah. generation, not not the ones that are drooling all over them that want to talk about hunts and just get their autograph. So I, I remember, uh, you know, I've seen one or two. Their publicist says, "Hey, you need to be over here," and mm-hmm. they they'll leave somebody hanging that wants a signature or a photograph, right? Mm-hmm. And go make their, their appearance. Their yep. appearance. Now I watched Jim Shockey exactly. basically, you know, tell his his publicist. I'll be there when I'm there and get through the line of people that have been waiting to, to meet him and take a yep. picture. And Jim is honest to goodness, a great guy. And that's the one that I was literally just thinking before you even <laughs> said him, like I have seen that he's the one that that example was about. I've seen him ignore oh, guys yeah. our age and say, no, I want to talk to the, you know, 10 year old kid who wants to tell me the story about his first year. That was a spike buck. Yep. He'd rather hear that than the, you know, oh, yeah. the, oh yeah. And, and I'm glad that our, our industry does have some sort of filter at some point in time. Those, those fake it's, they don't make it. There's well, a high BS filter in our industry, that's for sure. I remember going to ICAST, same mm-hmm. thing. 
So you see Outlander. Yep. Amazing man. I mean, he, he took time for people. Very engaging, very cool guy. There were a couple others. I won't name their names, but they were very snooty, yep. very rude to people. Yep. And it was just like, wow. You know, you All really get to them. see. Yeah, it's like, is it about you or is it about the sport? And so, right. So yes. I, I do see those people on YouTube, though, that are like, you know, I want to make a name for myself. I want right. to be this. I want to be the face. I want to do that. And then you have the other people like you talked about that are just wanting to educate or just share their passion with yep. people. Yep. And like you said, I mean, Outlander's a great one. I watch that show all the I time. I love that guy. And then like in the same thing with, like, with Jim Shockey. These are the guys mm-hmm. that know they don't, they can't do what they do without their fans and their audience. You know, yep. there's no one that's too, I mean, these people pay for their TV subscriptions that then allows them to be on TV that allows them to get sponsors. It's one of those stuff like that. They are down to earth and they get it. And so, mm-hmm. and the kid though, which you asked about some of these people, all these YouTube channels, all these, you know, TV shows, it's getting harder and harder to do outdoor television because right now, say from a sponsor's point of view, when we get approached to sponsor somebody, a lot of times I get to talk to them first before it even goes on. What are they going to do different than what's already out there? Mm-hmm. You're not going to go kill, you know, a deer or catch a bass any different than anybody else is. What sets you apart? You know, there's... 10,000 or whatever. I don't even know the exact number of shows. Just throw a number out there. There used to be a filter, and we'll we'll get into this a little bit as far as, you know, just the equipment costs, right? Right, right. And so everybody was catching bass, Mm -hmm. but the investment in getting the the software to edit the the footage Mm -hmm. and just get the camera was was a little bit of a barrier to entry, Right. right? So what, I mean, we'll talk about some equipment in a minute, but what was your favorite hunt that you've filmed so far? So those ones are tough. So we filmed anywhere from the Honey with Heroes hunts, like, the very first one that we ever, ever get on film, the hunter had never seen an elk in his life until his hunt. He came from Indiana. And as soon as that elk was down, I look over, and there's just tears running down his face. And then, so, so we start. You know, it's like, it was an emotional <laughs> moment. And it's like one of those, you know, it's hunting, and the passion was there. But then there's also, we take my buddy's kids on their first hunt. First antelope, we were able to get that on film. First mule deer, we were able to get that on film. And that was pretty special. You know, or my wife, she'd never, she moved from Minnesota. She'd always hunted whitetails her whole life, never hunted mule deer. Her first mule deer was like a 170-inch mule deer, which, I mean, that's a good deer. You know, I was excited for her. She stomped me that year. She, my deer was nowhere near <laughs> what she shot, but we were able to film that. So stuff like that, it's hard to choose. I mean, those Honey with Heroes right. ones probably take the cake, especially when you get those guys that are just, they're that grateful, you know. And it's like, no, I mean, this is like at least I can do for the sacrifices they've made for us. Yeah, we had Jim Zumbo on, and he yeah. talked about some of those hunts that he'd been on. Yeah. Same thing, where it's just it's such a special moment for that person, right? It's just so cool, right? And he's just like you know, to us, you know, we've all hunted, fished, we catch something. It almost you almost forget like just how special it is, how connected with nature, how you know what this means. And we're so vilified in media and yes. Hollywood and yes. movies, right? Right. You know, it's we just drive around with mm-hmm. our buck teeth and throw beer cans out the window and. <laughs> Shoot yeah. and miss everything, right? Right. No, you know, the three of us in the room, I speak for most everybody out there, we're we're practicing and being very lethal and ethical, and we're yeah. going out to make a specific harvest. It's right. not just a, a shotgun approach of... Spray and pray. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. Yeah. It's, you're exactly right, and that's why like when we talk about these long-range hunts that we do for the show, we don't just hold high and hope it hits. You know, we're out there in the summers, 
you know, we've got steel Using a Kestrel, yeah. setting it up, putting the data, doping the scope, you know, and have already practiced at that range mm-hmm. and know that, hey, this is a lethal shot for this mm-hmm. firearm combination bullet setup. Yeah. And we know we can make that shot. If we know, we, if we don't think we can, we won't do it because yeah. it's, we're not, we do not want to wound an animal. It's, we, you know, we're there to kill it so we can eat it, but we don't want it to suffer either. So, so why do you think, you know, I can remember watching the, the shockies and, and, mm-hmm. and having the hunting TV shows and watching the Zumbos, you know, in, in the nineties. And there was like a handful of them, right? right? Why do you think it's, I mean, now I, I can, you couldn't even make a list of everybody that has a hunting TV show. We get, like I said, we literally get people who contact us. I'm like, I have never heard of you. And you've been around for 10 years, you know, there's yeah. so many of them out there. Um, he said, I don't know. There's a way some people have figured out to make a living doing it. There's some that, like you said, we, Earlier, you know, they want the celebrity status or they really do want to educate and preserve the heritage because, like you said earlier, in the media, we're so vilified that we're getting hammered as hunters, as outdoorsmen, that we got to do something to show, like, this is what we actually do. You know, this is this is why we do it. And then, because there's some that are out there that will still go after us that will cannibalize ourselves, too. We, and it's, it's a tough thing to, you know, figure out why exactly is that person in it until you actually get to sit down and talk to them face-to-face. Like you said with Jim Shockey, you talk to that guy one time, you're going to understand why. There's other ones out there, you're going to go, man, I see why your show got canceled. Or, man, I see why your sponsor dropped <laughs> well, there, you. There's one that, you know, as, as a vendor, I paid for a booth at one of these shows, right? Mm-hmm. And he came with his entourage, and he wanted to see the product in the booth next to mine. Well, him and his entourage stood in front of my booth for 15 minutes and never even acknowledged or gave me the time of day right. and then turned and walked away. And that, I mean... I never even that that guy and I have never even spoken. You know, right. he doesn't know who I am. I know who he is. But he you'll remember but it. Yeah, he's left an impression that will never go away. Right, and that's just it. That's when those guys are talking to their fans at these shows or out in the public. They do that to a fan. I mean, it's you can't. I mean, <coughs> you're you're a public figure. You have put yourself in that position that you are now held to a higher standard because you are in the face of the public because of that. And some of these guys, it's I'm not trying to run anybody down. It's just hard to see. I want to see the ones that really have the true passion. You know, we want them to. So passion and and just being a good guy and right. and trying to put content out, but not falling to the prey of, hey, we're gonna we're gonna break the rules just to create content. Right, and that's that's the hard part because there's been some hunters in the past that have been caught where they shoot one animal on film, but then the animal that they have down is a totally different animal. I mean, and that you'll, you'll be able to see that all through the media. <laughs> I mean, when that happens, it's there, just, there's, there's honest mistakes and then there's cruel criminal intent. And there's a, there's you a know, fine line on that too. There, there yeah. can be. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then as soon as that happens, those of us sitting in this room, then you get a black eye because yep. we're immediately lumped in that same basket. So. so if somebody wanted to start filming, what, what's some advice, what's some equipment you'd suggest? And I mean, how do, how do, how do I go about that? So, Mine was a kind of an unconventional route and how I ended up filming because, you know, I was working for a sponsor and then they found out obviously what we do hunting wise and they sent us a camera. Um, figure out what you're going to do. Fig- I mean, so get a good camera for one. You're going to need the HD to uh, start either like a 4K or 1080p now with the way TVs are or computers and everything. Um, YouTube's not a bad way to start. It's a free platform. You can get it out there and that way you don't have a ton of f- upfront startup cost and that's how some of these guys have branched and literally, like we were told, film everything, film loading your vehicle, film, you know, getting all your gear together in your pack, talk about why you're doing it. I mean, just everything, you know, you have to get a computer with some editing equipment. Like the camera we have is a Sony 4K Ultra HD 
thankfully we didn't have to pay for it camera because the show was established. <laughs> but I mean, things like that, a lot of them, I mean, people will film with their everyday, like this Canon that's sitting here on the table. Some of those have video capabilities and they're ultra HD. They just don't have the zoom capabilities that maybe a video camera would have. There's a lot of people to do that. I mean, there's people film with their phones. Well, yeah, so I, that new iPhone 11. Yeah. yeah. You should see the film that thing puts out. It's right. crazy. Right. It used to be able to, I mean, it would be so grainy and pixelated. People didn't want it. Now, <laughs> literally, there's things that we get for B-roll footage that comes off of our phone. Yeah. And it's just, there's so many out, so many things out there. The technology is endless at this point that it's tough to pinpoint exactly what to get. Research what you have, you know, figure out what your budget is if you want to get started on this. And literally, like I said, you have to film everything. What kind of editing software are you guys using? So that one, I'm not 100 percent sure on. So okay. we, so we have, uh, so we got the camera, and every year I hand deliver it one of these shows to the guy who, Brad Lockwood, he's the main host of the show. He mm-hmm. owns it, he produces it, all of this. So when we meet up with him at the show in January every year, I bring him four, five, six SD cards that are 32 gigabytes full of film. He takes it in. He's got his guys that do the editing. Sure. So I'm lucky on that aspect where I just get to film. I mean, it's still a lot of work, but I don't have to do the, uh, the editing process. Yeah. Part of that. I so. know a lot of them like up, up at the college, they use Adobe. Right. And I know some use iMovie, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of options out there for right. people. Well, and it's one of those, I would say, figure out what you're comfortable with and what you can use itself. I mean, like you said, with those examples right there, someone might be able to figure out Adobe better than the iMovie or vice versa. Yep. Go that route, you know, just and they're sure. both good, right? And George Lucas saved Star Wars, the first one. It was fixed in the editing room, right? Right. I mean, that I've heard that story before. It was it was a garbage movie before it went in, and <laughs> somebody with some skills reworked it and right edited right. it, and, and that's it. where my expertise is not the state. I mean, these guys that love to create this content, they produce, they like making, you know, what they call it, videography, all that. Yeah, that's what they do, and thankfully we have that, you know, availability. Because, like, with us, you know, we have our everyday, you know, 40-hour-a-week jobs, and then we do this, you know, after hours or on the weekends. I honestly don't know if we would be able to do the show if we had to do the editing as well. Just time constraints. Yeah, yeah. editing, even just podcast editing, that's a whole nother world, too. You know, it's like we're blessed to have Jared to help us out, but, I mean, that's it's a lot of work. Oh you yeah, gotta figure it out. Yeah, you're listening to you're listening or watching, you know, yeah. clips that are ten minutes long to get a thirty second blurb. I oh, mean, yeah. it's and because you, you got to watch it all to make sure you don't miss anything. And that's that's like we were talking earlier, whether it's the B roll footage or the stuff that they see that's behind the scenes that doesn't make the episode. You know, where they create a YouTube channel later on, saying this is what it took to actually make this show. You know, so you've mm-hmm. touched on it a little bit. You know, what are some mistakes besides just you know, making sure records <laughs> on on the camera. Yeah, I've done what, that. What, what are some other things that, you know, somebody getting into this, may, maybe we can learn us from rookies. Right, yeah. There you go. So <laughs> I was on a hunt a couple years ago with the Eastmans, and we were doing for their wingman platform. And so they knew I had a little bit of filming experience background. So I'm running the camera for one of their guys to hunt. And the turkey steps out, and I move the camera. And I'm not paying attention enough to the screen, and I screwed this up. The, the camera zoomed in on the tree. I've got a blurry turkey that he kills. Stuff like that. You got to make sure that it's a clear shot. I mean, that's super easy. You know, with the autofocus, make sure what that camera's grabbing is what you want it to. You know, Not the tree, the turkey that was right. two feet in front of it. Yeah, and that's a good looking tree. Yes, <laughs> right. Or uh, it's hard to save that footage right yeah. there. Yep. You can make up beforehand, right? Right. You exactly. can make up afterhand. Blame but. the camera guy because he screwed that one up for sure. It but uh, or other ones are know your tripod. 
Like we have some that are like the free floating, like smooth, like ball bearing ones that are supposed to be self-contained for oil. It, it, it they wear out over the years. You know, all of a sudden we're trying, we're moving the camera, we get this smooth shot, and then it hits a rough button, and, and then it jerks. You know, well then you can't hear that. You know, you want it to be as smooth as possible. That kind of stuff. It's it's the little things you don't ever think about or making sure you always have a spare battery because if it dies and you're five yeah. miles in. I was going to ask you about that. So spare batteries, yep. spare SD cards. Yep. Because it's like, oh, this one's full. Crap. Right. I forgot to switch it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So making sure you have that. What? Mm-hmm. A, so I'm sure you film in cold conditions. Yep. How do you manage that with batteries? So that Especially one, in Wyoming. Right, exactly. So when it's 30 below in Wyoming and we're out there <laughs> filming, um, you know, when you're layering, we keep the batteries on an inner internal layer, you know, close inside to our body, yep, inside yep. our jacket, you know, wherever. So, because it gets cold, the battery's going to die. And that way, at least, so it's not dying on you. Stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. you're exactly right. And the thing is, they'll be ready to carry it all. Because it's it adds up fast. The tripod, the camera. Yeah. I mean, that's basically all you have space for in your pack. Because it gets heavy yeah. real quick. Yeah. I had fun. I was watching, uh, have you ever watched Uncut Angling? I've heard YouTube. of it. I haven't seen it. Uh-uh. So it was one of these guys. He Aaron Weeb. He's up in Canada. He has a very successful YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Well, he was talking about these lithium ion ice augers now, right. and so taking those out on the ice and how to keep one of the batteries in your chest, you know, in in a few layers under all of his gear, you know, because he's right. on a snowmobile to keep it warm. He has to do the same thing with mm-hmm. all of his cameras because he's pretty much filming it all himself right. by himself fishing. Right. And I was like, man, that's got to be a real pain in the butt trying to mm-hmm. trying to manage the battery for your ice auger, batteries for your yep. cameras, and all these things. So I'm sure when you're hunting and you're hiking up, you know, into the mountains, you're hiking through snow, mm-hmm. you're carrying all this extra weight. I'm yep. sure it's like, holy cow! Yep. It well, has at, a- at least in your setup, you've got a cameraman and a hunter, so you can watch the hunter walk across this nice landscape yep. the camera can turn the camera off and hike up to you and then you can pick a new spot right like remy warren with solo hunter mm-hmm. when you see oh. those epic shots he has to turn around walk He'll back go pick up. the camera yeah, right <laughs> that's, those guys that self-film they are that's some of that stuff like remy's it's a perfect tough. example oh, he's a, he's a dude he's a mountain goat he's a he's a rock star that for is sure. for sure absolutely well and um that wounded warrior hunt i was talking about where the guy you know after he killed the elk you know he started to tear up well, we get in a position where we got to pack this elk out. I've got all the camera gear. Chapper's got, you know, the rifle and other gear. We finally, and, you know, these wounded veterans, he's not carrying much. We're finally like, sorry, man, you got to carry the rifle and the camera because we're carrying out packs. You know, we put in, you know, 7,500 pounds of meat at a time because we just want to get it out. Luckily, it was downhill to carry it That's out. That's good. Yeah. But I'm like, sorry, dude, you got to carry the camera. <laughs> at least you got to do that for us. You know, I mean, and that was nice in that aspect, but there's other times it's, all right, let's make some trips. So, yeah, hike in, hike out. Mm-hmm. Well, I've <laughs> never done any filming, and so we're going to have a cameraman. I've got two, maybe even three trips this fall that we're going to tote the cameraman around and at least document. There you go. So, tell me about GoPros because I see a lot of people doing stuff, and I think it's cool. Um, but there's good GoPro <laughs> footage, and there's really bad GoPro footage. So, Tell me about that and just some tips on how people can use them. So what we use them for, whether it's on our chest or our head, especially like a waterfowl hunt or anything like that, we turn it on and we'll submit the footage. If it's good footage, they'll use it for potential B-roll. If not, like you said, it's hard because you can't zoom in, can't zoom out. You don't know what you're – I mean, because if you're focused on something else, you're just hoping it's getting the shot. So um, one foot, one tip that I did see that Brad taught me, he took like a uh, kitchen timer, the one of the dials that you have to turn, 
And somehow he figured out how to mount a GoPro to that. And so he'd set it on a post for like an hour, hour and a half timer, and it would slowly move. And he got one heck of a time-lapse footage doing that. That'd be so cool. So it's set, you know, whether it's just the clouds, you know, all of a sudden they move, you see those shots. Stuff, that works out very well for those GoPros because it's a smaller camera that you can set. or Set and forget. Set it's, and it's forget a, and come back an hour or two later. Yep. Get that secondary or that third yep. angle from yep. a primary, but don't use it as your primary. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. I've done some, like, where I'll be fishing and I'll have, like, and one a, on a cap. And, right. you know, you can see some cool stuff. Like, sometimes it'll catch where if you have a cameraman, they're focused on you. Mm-hmm. The at least the GoPro will catch the fish come out of the water, yep. like a yep. big brown or whatever in the mm-hmm. river come out of the water. That's kind of cool, right? And so I could see it from that aspect. Exactly, because it, and it's and it's the hard part is because you have to make sure it's secure. Because I mean, there's been times mm-hmm. we were hunting and we've got it in our head for waterfowl. All of a sudden, the camera's way off to the left, and you hear the gunshots, but I'm staring at the ground because the camera's tipped right. over. You know, it's it's they they definitely have their purpose, and there's things you can do for them. But like David said, it's not going to be your main source of filming. But one cool thing that I've seen them used for is they have those underwater cases. Yes, and so getting a release of a fish can look really really cool. Yep. With those, yep, those, those are, are neat. Or like when they dip the net in or whatever yeah. to pick it up. Yep, that's a that's a great point. You know, like with us with doing the honey, we're not a whole lot of it into the water for that. Mm-hmm. But that's an excellent idea because that way, because you're not going to want to dip a. Ten thousand dollar camera in the water, yeah, for sure. Nope. So um, I, I'm a little bit uh technically technologically dysfunctional, but I did on a bear bait take and strap mm-hmm. that right the GoPro to the tree, right? And we we got some decent footage of you know I had it Bluetooth to the phone and mm-hmm. it was I, I'm not super fan of all that technology and getting it to work when it needs to it it never seems to work right. right. But, I mean, the battery died like two seconds after we got the shot. But we got the shot Luckily of you got the shot, though, right? Yeah. Of an archery bear, you know, and I, I don't know if I got it recorded on my phone. We might have. I think we recorded on my cell phone and the GoPro. Just this was a couple of years ago trying to dabble mm-hmm. in it. But it can be done, right? It can be done. And those are a lot easier to hide, too, than some of the other cameras that we're talking about, you know. I mean, More importantly, if, you know, if a bear comes up and bites my, <laughs> my GoPro strap to the tree, it's a couple hundred bucks versus trying to strap a, a $10,000 camera and the bear's using it as a chew toy. Right, exactly. And those, like I said, the, the size is crazy what they've done with some of these cameras anymore. You know, uh, 10 years ago, outdoor TV, you'd see these guys, the, the background shots, the cameramen. These cameras were gigantic. You know, they were probably... Shoebox size or bigger. Or bigger, yeah. You know, so now what we film with... Like boombox size on your shoulder. (laughs) And that's what it looked like. It looked like they were carrying a boombox, and that's exactly right. That's a good point. And now these new cameras are... They're small, they're compact, they're just like these little everyday cameras. But the quality and what they can do is so much more advanced that it's a lot easier to pack in just because, you know, you're exerting this energy... You want to I mean you know ounces you know add up not pounds ounces like just oh, like yeah. putting a pack on or anything like that and it's yeah. well and I've noticed like with these GoPros they're they're getting that 1080 mm-hmm. I mean they're ultra HD it's like holy cow I can't believe and like I said the new iPhones and stuff you're like how in the world are you able to pack that all into that tiny little phone or GoPro right. it's crazy what they can do right well now these things they're so technologically advanced I've always said like my cell phone I mean I don't have the iPhone 11 or anything but it's got more computing power than most computers oh yeah it's a min- yeah it's a miniature computer in your hand and like it's got the ability to shoot such high definition stuff that that I think is allowing more and more people to they're going to start YouTube and just see what they do I mean some of these guys I see these fishing shows it's their iPhone They've got it on either a eye stick or whatever, or they set it up on a little tripod. And because they don't have a camera with them, they're mm-hmm. just self-filming. But it's literally this six-inch by 
three-inch device that's barely bigger than a credit card, and they're getting all this footage. So mm-hmm. it is a little bit that kind of stuff. If they can figure out the angles and the way to do it, um, that's definitely a more cost-effective way of doing it. But some of the TV-type stuff that you see on the Outdoor Channel, Sportsman's or Pursuit Channel, thing like right. that. B- bigger lenses are always going to produce better footage. Right, right. Like with us, you said we're doing these five, 600-yard shots. We have what's called a digital zoom extender. We zoom out as far as we can, lock onto the animal, push that extender. It shoots out a little bit farther so you can actually see the target. You know, I mean, because that's the point of the show you want to see where you're not seeing the target with your cell phone at 500 yards you're not going to zoom in you're not even going to see the animal in the screen at that point and that's where you know you get your big differences on something so with fishing you can go with some of the lower quality stuff and get away with it with hunting there's no way especially not out here out west no and that's the one of the biggest things you know um the western part of it people just it's crazy to think you know a 200 yard shot out here is pretty common i mean that's where like people sight the rifles into 200 yards because that's if we don't have the breakup or the trees to do it. I built a 300 blackout in Alaska to chase wolves with, right? Mm-hmm. Wonderful gun because you're going to be between 100 and 200 yards anywhere mm-hmm. you're at in that, uh, you know, Arctic forest. Mm-hmm. I uh, quickly sold that rifle when I moved here because, right. <laughs> you know, that blackout's done at 200 yards, and that's mm-hmm. where we start. Yep. Well, it's like, you know, talking about my wife again, coming from Minnesota, her rifles were always sighted into 50 yards. Yeah. Such heavily wooded timber. <laughs> That's all they needed. It's thick you know? country out there. It is th- exactly. <laughs> you zero on that at two fifty here. Yeah, no, and that's just it. She killed her mule deer at like three hundred and fifty yards. Mm. But we spent some time. We got her a new scope. She had like a one and a half to four power. Oh yeah. That which I'm like, you're. We need to get you something a little different. So we get her one at least a three to nine by forty, or even a little bit bigger. And that goes into the ethics of the hunt too. You want to make sure you can make that shot, not just yeah. hold high and and hope for the best, like some of these fixed power scopes. Well, and here we have that extra element of the wind because it, typically you've got that big wide open space and the wind's howling at fifteen to twenty miles an hour just on a nice You'd be day, just a normal Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, on yeah. a nice day, and yeah. then you get the bad day where it's forty mile an hour. Man, you that's a tough shot. Oh, and we've had some of those, and that even aired on that show last night where we the guy was shooting at this antelope. His first one he missed. Because as he pulls the trigger, there was a wind gust, and that bullet drifted, and he was 400 yards out. You know, the guys made the shot 100 other times, and it drifted and completely missed the animal. Oh, yeah. You just it's Stuff like that you can't account for. You know, if it's a constant, like you said, 15 miles an hour, you know your rifle, you know where to hold, or some of these have um, the dials that you can dial, and so that way you still hold right on. But it's it's all element of the different type of hunting. We don't have the, the trees to break up the wind. It's... There's a lot more that goes into it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole other ball game. Oh man! I you commented on this EOS five Canon here. It's a mirrorless. I just bought that so I can do some, you know, a little bit of filming. Right. right. I'm gonna pack a couple extra batteries, couple mm-hmm. extra SD cards. I'm taking a solar charger and a backup little battery charger because I'm gonna go do a backpack hunt. Yeah. And we're not gonna be we're not gonna be around power for a couple days. Right. And then I'm gonna take the cell phone and that's gonna be my two. You know, I'm thinking about adding a GoPro Tacticam just mm-hmm. came out with a, a stabilizer or a scope mounted little I've camera. I've seen those before, yep. yep. And there that's a that's a ten eighty HD mm-hmm. and it's a the thing I don't like about my GoPros is that one button is like twenty functions. Right. Right. And, and make I make sure you hit the exact one correctly oh. and get it set up. Cause and, and to the heat of the moment, you, I never get it done right. <laughs> well, 
Well, you're going to hit it three different times, and you're going to be on like, and it's blink another. Yeah, Tacticam has a start and a stop button. Okay, and okay. you just hit one button, it records. Mm-hmm. You hit another button, it stops. So right. Well, and keep it, it simple. Yeah. Well, that's just it. It's best you can because a lot of times, you know, buck fever kicks in, and you want to make sure that you're on it. You know, and I don't know how many times there's been footage that they've had to edit out where either Trapper's shooting or I'm shooting. We're like, are you on it? Are you on it? Are you on it? I mean, and it just goes on until we make sure, because the camera, you're trying to make sure you've got that exact, or like, all right, there's six deer out there. It's third from the left, or, you know, second Which was right. third from the left? Right. Which is my left hand? Wait a second. Which one are you it's shooting right. at? Right, exactly, because then again, <laughs> if you don't know, you may be zoomed on one, and the hunter shoots the other one. Oh, my wife a, on a cow there. hunt this yeah. last fall. I just had, I didn't have a camera. I wanted to have my binoculars right. on. And it was 295 yards, mm-hmm. but there was 100 in front of us, and I'm like... I want to know which one you're shooting at because I want to be see if there's see the impact or see if yeah. it drops or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. make sure uh, you know because when you get a hundred and they start getting mixed up, I want to keep my <laughs> eyes on it, right? Right, because if she takes off, oh, running. it took forever. It can be yeah. hectic. It is, and it's one of those you know, and sometimes and it feels like you're there forever, and so you're starting to rush, and you don't want to rush. You want to make sure you're calm and collected. And if they walk off, they walk off. But a lot of times they start to move, and you start to panic. You're like, oh, I got to do it. I got to do it. And it's like, hold on, you know. I mean. If you don't have a camera, you get on the one you want. Like you said, and David, a good point. If it's one or two animals, it's easy to find them. But if there's a couple hundred animals or 50 animals, yeah, I mean. It's a lot of eyeballs, a lot of ears. Well, that's just it. That's, you know, that many that are watching you, too, in your movement, whether it's with the binoculars or spotting scope or the camera, which sometimes can be reflective, too. You know, we put, like, black tape over any part that we think might be reflective. But you can't do it over the lens. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so, no, you can't. <laughs> yeah. So do you guys do filming year-round? We don't. We just in the fall. Just in the fall. Yep. Just for hunting. So, um, what do we? The show runs fifty-two weeks a year, and this year I found out we're going to have fifty-two new episodes. That's quite a bit. Of, that's a lot of wow. hunts. And it's not just us. He's got other. Well, I guess we're called pro staffers. Right. And so he's got other ones in, um, like the Pennsylvania area and other states. So that way they can get that much footage. And so I mean, and that's the cool part. We've yeah. Done, in a season, you might get five episodes if you're really right. Got that camera rolling every day. You're exactly. out there, right? Exactly, and so that's why we've incorporated things like the Honey with Heroes or trying to get a kid on their first hunt. And uh, we've finally, like, they've expanded, like, bow fishing. That was kind of a cool episode. They went Stingray on bow fishing down oh, in the cool. Gulf. That one I wish I could have gone on. That would have been a that lot been of fun. fun. Yeah. So most of our stuff here is all in the fall, and then we just, we'll do B-roll footage or stuff as needed later on. Otherwise, the camera can assist what's, the closet. What's the funniest thing? That's either not made it on show or B-roll <laughs> or that's been caught while the cameras are rolling. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if I want to tell this story or not. But uh, <laughs> here we go, guys. So, yeah, it's coming. So Buckle it's, up. Yeah. So I know they've got the footage that they said they keep threatening to release someday. But we had that <laughs> wounded warrior out here for the Honey with Heroes hunt. And he had an antelope tag, too, as well that year. That was two years ago. And the elk weren't moving. The weather was up there was bad. So we were going to go try and find his antelope. So we're driving down the road. And we're just, we're all in a good mood, enjoying life. And I swear, it must have been like a Taylor Swift or Miley Cyrus song comes on. I look over, and he's rocking out to it. So I'm in a good mood. I start rocking out to it, start singing it, you know. <laughs> Lo and behold, Trapper sitting in the back seat of the truck running the camera. (laughs) I I would do that. Oh, yeah. So there's stuff like that where they've got that, that it may make like a behind the hunt kind of thing. Hey, Brad, if you're out there, uh, I'll send you my email. Yeah. I I need some leverage. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's that or, you know, guys being guys together, whether it's a bodily function that pops up, you know, kind of thing. And all of a sudden, you just hear this loud blast on camera. It's just... It happens. Forget it was rolling, you know, and you're just. 
I'll tell you, I, I we weren't even filming, but I took a took a, a younger guy on his first deer hunt. We got him a doe, and it was mm-hmm. great. And you know, he he built him an AR, and we went and practiced. And 195 yard shot, one shot, lethal, great hunt, right? Yeah. Well, it took us a day up there to 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 get that. And we hiked in, and he, you know, he could have got a general. He's a Wyoming resident. He could have got a general elk. He's like, no, I just want to start deer. I'm like, why don't you get both? He's like, no, I just want to start deer. We were five minutes behind. Some guys passed us hiking up the trail, and we talked to them a little bit. They're like, well, we're elk hunting. I'm like, we're only deer hunting. If you guys see some deer, point it out. They went maybe 300 yards in front of us and killed a nice six-point bull elk. <laughs> if he would have had an elk tag, I would have told those guys, no, we're first. Right. You can follow us. And, right. I mean, we would have hiked up there. Same. He got to watch it and see it. We went and watched him process right. it, right? Right. We got back to the truck, and I've got my Leopold HD spotter, and I'd had it on my shoulder just to have it out. I set it right next to the truck. We got everything in the truck. I'm sitting. The, they just started snowing, you mm-hmm. know, sideways. I drove off. Yeah. And left it laying there. Mm-hmm. We went, and we went back later that afternoon. I'm like, where's my scope? I'm like, I'm, somebody had backed into that parking spot with a trailer, and it was laying a foot from their tires. Oh, oh I got so lucky. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, my heart sunk. and That, that was one of my worst stories. Is oh, yeah. Leave, leave $2,000 worth of glass on the mountain and tell my wife, oh, I need a new spot and scope. Yeah, that, that's luck. not going to go over very well. I've but done you, that with an old pair of Brunton binoculars years ago, drove off, but ended up on the highway, and they fell off the hood. Oof. There was no salvaging those. Yeah, uh, that's a bummer. Yeah, it's and the mountains eat equipment. So that's this camera thing is I'm I'm a little hesitant because well the best thing we ever did on hunt this was before we were filming. Um, Trapper and I were hunting elk. It was just a cow season, and we had his son with us, and his son set his binoculars down, and we were crossing a canyon, and we realized oh crap I don't have it. So we were like so we sent him back for it, and we look on we get on a herd of elk, so I kill a cow. Luckily, the side-by-side is on the side of the canyon where he was at, and it's a down. So we got lucky. <laughs> He's already had, back over there. Hey, hey drive around. We're yelling at him, oh, by the way, drive it to the bottom of the mountain. We'll meet you there. You know, you got lucky in that aspect. But And sometimes if you put it down, you may not find it because it's you don't remember exactly where you set it. Dude, I look like a Christmas tree in the woods elk hunting. Mm-hmm. Everything goes on a lanyard and gets tied to me. <laughs> Guys make fun of me because I got stuff hanging everywhere. If I sit down and pull a, a granola bar out of my backpack and set it on the log next to me, it's gone. Oh, yeah. And I ain't ever finding that log no. again. You find it in the grizzly bear scat later because yeah. he'll find it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I got to ask you, if you could go anywhere and film with anybody, who would it be? And where would it be? Where would it be? Huh. I don't know. Shockey's pretty high up on the list. One of those hunts. I mean, even if it's a caribou hunt in Alaska with Shockey, that would probably That'd be, cool. be. Yeah. So it's, I mean. That one's up there. Um, I'm actually fortunate enough, like, we weren't filming this hunt, but my very first turkey kill ever, I was with Jim Zumbo. Oh, he was awesome. on my very first one. It was an archery turkey hunt, and I killed one, and Zumbo was with me. This guy that I watched his TV show growing up, one of my outdoor yep. heroes, and one of the coolest guys you're ever going to meet. I mean, you guys have yep. talked to him, fished with him. He's he's one of those that are down he's awesome. to earth. He uh, is, yeah, Zumbo's t- t- definitely top five. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know? <laughs> Easily. And so... I'm lucky enough I can say that my first turkey kill ever was with Jim Zumbo. But on a filmed hunt like that, anywhere in the world, caribou's up there. I don't know. I mean, and with Jim Shockey, just, yeah. I mean, side note on Zumbo, I was I was a young kid going to the Portland Expo show, mm-hmm. right? And that was like, for a guy that was into all this outdoor stuff, reading outdoor life, field and stream, Zumbo's coming to Portland mm-hmm. and going to give a seminar. You know, I sat there in the audience and ate up every word at 
10, 11, 12, yeah. right? Here's this Wyoming cowboy with this hat killing all these big bull elk. And, I mean, that's what got me to go to guide school, go be yeah. an outfitter and guide, and got me into doing what I'm doing now, which, I mean, it all started with reading his articles. Oh, yeah. Well, like, I read all of his books, the To Heck with Elk Hunting, To Heck with Deer Hunting, growing up. And then seven years ago, my very first trade show, when I finally got into this industry, you know, I was like a kid in a candy store, you know, seeing all these people, and I hear he's there. I was still excited, you know, at 26 years old. Oh, thinking, yeah. I was like, holy crap, one of my outdoor, like, idols is going to be here. And then you talk to him, and it's like, he's just like us. Yeah, but there's a reason why he, he gained yeah. the, the notoriety that he did, because mm-hmm. he's kept that ego in check, and he's humble, and he's awesome to talk he's to. He's a good man. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's the cool thing, like, because now you're doing more of this stuff, and you get to go to these shows, you get to meet these guys and oh, get yeah. to know what they're actually like and. Yeah. Most of them are just like us. Just sitting, I mean, they yeah. would sit down with us and have the same kind of conversation yeah. we just did, you know. And and I'm sure, like, Jim, he's like, anytime you're in Cody, call us up. you got a meal waiting at the house. And that guy can cook, too. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God, that guy can cook. But, uh, yeah, it's just that kind of thing. It's it's a definitely it's a tight-knit brotherhood, for sure. Yep. And the ones that you can tell the genuine ones pretty quick, immediately. And those ones are good as gold, as you see them at the shows, TV, whatever. You know, it's genuine. And I just shut up and listen, generally, you know, like especially someone like a Shockey or Zumba who's done this for so long. And any tips they give or any suggestions, you know, they've made these mistakes before I was born, you know, and they're just there. They want they want you to succeed. You know, they're te- they've got like Jim's got his TV. Not Jim. Um, yeah, Jim. They're both Jim. Yeah, Jim <laughs> yeah, and Jim. Jim. Jim and Jim. So Shockey <laughs> still has his TV show. Yeah. And I'm sure other shows may be considered competitors for airtime or whatever but he doesn't want anyone to, to fail he wants everyone to succeed you know guys like that it's and that's what really drives me in this industry with filming and everything you know if you can do that you can help the next guy succeed you can help preserve the heritage that we all love especially here in wyoming you know we got to come together and start fighting for for the the rights and hunting we and back conservation other. we, we got to remember it's same team same team guys that's exactly right and it's and then you sit like some of the camp stories, just sitting around a campfire or or dinner table with some of these guys before or after the hunt. That's almost better than the hunt oh, sometimes, yeah. you know. And it's, you know, cameras rolling or not. I love being able to film outdoors. You know, someday it'll come to an end and, you know, I'll have had my time. It'll be great, great memories. But the other stuff that goes into it is so much better than actually being the guy on TV, you know. It's, mm-hmm. it's cool to say, you know, it is kind of, I mean, it's humbling and it's also, I mean, you get that little you know, a little ego check or, you know, a little boost when it's like, oh, I saw you on that hunt. That was awesome. You know, good job. How do you do that? You know, that's fun. It is. I mean, it's. Patrick and I got to go fishing with Zumbo this spring, right? That was and, fun. you know, it was cool to interview him, have a podcast. Definitely highlight, right? But mm-hmm. just getting to sit and fish and hang out and tell stories and the kids were around playing. It was, that was way better than anything else yeah one of the things i really liked about that was when the kids were watching the underwater camera and trying to catch those pesky splake that were trying to come up and steal their little piece of sucker meat that was that was fun man it was and he got a kick out of it too well he probably sat right there and i mean he probably talked to them just as much as he talked oh yeah oh yeah he loves the kids yeah yeah so it's the outdoor filming industry is a pretty cool thing to get into it's it's a lot of work it's not easy um there's a lot of retakes and reshots of Throwing the backpack in the truck and stuff like we talked about earlier. But so if you had to pick one species to film and hunt the rest of your life, one place, one location, one species, one weapon, what is it? Oh, man. 
think you've like, asked me this before, it. and it's, yeah. <laughs> it, I don't know. it hasn't changed. Come I, on. I know. I was like, well, I, that was before my buffalo hunt. I killed a buffalo <laughs> this last winter. And so, I know that one's up there, but that one was nerve-wracking. So, I, there's still just something about a big mule deer. I I love the rifle hunting. I don't know if I would choose rifle or archery. I'm going to have to say hunt big mule deer in probably Wyoming. It's home. I've been to a lot of states, been a lot of places. There is nothing like Wyoming. Wyoming has just kind of a... Sage muleys or yeah. a high high alpine muleys? I'll hunt either. Either one. <laughs> either well, one. and you can do either one here. Yeah, that's, that's the great part. It. Right. And it's yeah. and the and a sage mule deer, you hunt it different than you hunt a high mule mm-hmm. deer. And that's the cool part about it. That it, it's not the same. It's never I'm gonna sit in a stand and wait for it to come by, which you know, I've never really tree stand hunted. I'm all for wanting to try it. But I've got ADD. I'm I'm gonna be walking <laughs> and looking. <laughs> So, so if you were going to go fishing, what would you go after? Oh, if you could only pick one. I, I'm probably going to, I'd have to say walleye. Walleye. The, it's the fight's not as great as like a, a rainbow trout or anything like that, but you can fill a freezer with walleye. It, it tastes good. so good. Yeah. It's, it's hard to beat a good walleye. I mean, I've got into, with my wife being from Minnesota, catching northerns and stuff recently. And then that's fun. Some smallmouth bass. We were back there for the 4th of July, and she caught a six pound smallmouth oh. on Lake Mille Lacs, which that's one of the more popular lakes in the country. Just throwing a MEPS uh, number four spinner. spinner. Yep. Just hoping she get into a wall or something. All of a sudden, this, I mean, Six pound smallmouth. That was a big fish. That fight. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I was <laughs> Pull your more, arm off. I've caught so my biggest steelhead on a. On a blue fox, yeah. maps. and yeah. that's we throw like blue fox consistently for everything. It's a great lure. It's one of those if you have a kid, just cast and slow retrieve. You know, you don't have to worry about trying to have the finesse of a jig or anything like that. But it's still interactive enough that you're not just watching a bobber as they get a little bit older. And uh, but, we were talking about the, uh, I uh, we were talking about the state record that I caught. And yeah, bottom yeah. bottom rig fishing, mm-hmm. and it's just so boring. Like I would much rather be topwater musky fishing or pike or bass yeah you know we were talking about bass through messenger the right. other day like top water fishing is the best and david agrees with that yep. I mean, oh, top that water you see pinnacle. that thing explode oh oh yeah whether it's you said a little popper or a little and the best and you got to do this with me one of these days okay. we'll, we'll figure out a trip to pine view okay but you throw out a, a tiger muscular lure and it's a top water, like a whopper plopper or something uh-huh. like that. And you start retrieving, and all of a sudden you see this wake coming yeah. behind it. That <laughs> is <laughs> the <laughs> best oh, yeah, thing ever. I can only imagine. Like, my heart <sighs> starts racing when you see these, like, bass start exploding on top oh, of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, like, we're t- I just got that chase bait that just came in, that smuggler. It yeah. looks like a parakeet. I mean, the <laughs> stuff that these guys come up with, I've got one that looks like a bat. One that looks like, I mean, just to try it. You know, I'm like, does this I, uh, really work? You know? They work. They do. Oh, yeah. I got to go do lake trout. Mm-hmm. Oh, a couple of years ago on Flaming Gorge, and we did a, uh, you know, big jigs deep water. Right. Sure, but you'd watch that lake trout. You could see him pop off the bottom oh, yeah. of the lake, right? Just bleep, and then all of a sudden, guys like, "Hey, you better start reeling." Mm-hmm. And that fish, I mean, and you watch the two lines almost come to intersect, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, and I mean, they they're coming from like three hundred feet of water. Yeah, they're, they're hitting deep. somewhere at like a hundred feet of water, right. and you're just reel it for all you got it's well, that's some awesome of those are 40 pound fish and they're just a muscle of, they're or huge a missile of muscle strong yeah yeah that's well i'll tell you so growing up in pacific northwest if uh if oregon ever gets their mountain lions under control and yes i just put them on blast uh, i would have never left blacktail hunting because there is something about a big old chocolate buck you know appearing out of the mist in the ferns mm-hmm. that if you've never done it blacktail hunting is is awesome I've heard that. That's one that I've never done, and it's on a little bit more flighty than even a whitetail. 
and they live in they're just they're 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 an individual they're they're species all their own but you know having left oregon and going to alaska and chasing chasing the alaska dream i can tell you after having no elk in my life for a few years uh, it's very simple (laughs) archery elk and probably wyoming wilderness if I had to pick one place. September, they're come screaming at you. Like, they compare, like, uh, turkey hunting to elk hunting. Because you start... Yeah. I mean, it's just a it's a big tom turkey that's about 100 <laughs> times the size. So, so for our you, eastern yeah. friends, if you're if you're really hooked <laughs> in the turkey hunting and you're, yeah. and you're good and you can be successful at it, you come out here and pretty much apply a lot of those tactics, you'll, you'll do fine. Yep. September for elk, and you get this big animal just in your face and you see the like the drool and the snot, snot. coming out of the, oh yeah <laughs> ripping yeah. trees out yep. of the ground yep. uh just fighting everything within they, they think you're another animal over there after his cows oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. so oh. deception is what i like i also want to ask you about your your bison hunt so that, tell us a little bit about that oh my gosh that was one of the most nerve-wracking hunts that i've ever had I mean, I'm glad it was successful. But it's show season. Oh my! And you, well, right, for people who don't know that is you've got a whole bunch of work. I'm in the I'm in Indianapolis last year when finally snow hits. So this season goes like August 15th to January 31st. So it's a long season. But these buffalo are in Yellowstone Park, and they've got to get into the national forest. And they know where that boundary oh is. Oh my gosh, you are they not walk joking! Because you can walk up to these same bison all summer and take pictures across the fence at twenty yards, and they're like, they don't care. Right? They right. cross that line. They know, yeah, and it takes and it takes snow to move them from Yellowstone Park to Teton National Forest, and it takes a lot of snow to move these buffalo. So my wife and I made trip after trip after trip to the unit in October, November, December nothing finally some you know start showing up like first part of january and you're in indianapolis well they're 50 yards from the boundary and they're not crossing it they know like you said (laughs) i mean this gigantic bull that probably weighs 1800 pounds if more if not more maybe 2000 2200 they get up into the 24s yes they do and so he's standing there just looking at us we drive the truck from literally from me to the wall here and he's just Looks up, puts his head back down, you know, because he's right that close to the road. Across the road, this two-tracker, you know, crosses over 50 yards of sagebrush, and he's where I can hunt him. And it's like, okay, well, this kind of stinks. And then, like David said, I've got to go to Indianapolis for um, a And that's a once-in-a-lifetime tag. Well, there's so there's a caveat to that, but we'll get to that. So, luckily, at the end of uh, January, I had contacted an outfitter that was up there, and he calls me and goes, they're here. Can you be here in the morning? So luckily, Hans let me go. So I left my house at 3 a.m., got to Jackson at 6, met up with the outfitter, paid him, signed the paperwork. We go in on horseback, and they're into the elk refuge where these guys have permission to go. Well, they showed up the night before, and some hunters accessed the refuge illegally and split the herd. So all the bulls went back across the river into the park where I can't hunt. So there was nothing but cows available, and there's two days left in the season. And luckily, my tag was an any tag, so I made the decision. I, you know, I harvested a large cow. She was about 12, 1,300 pounds. Um, dry, three-year-old, not pregnant. So she's, the meat's phenomenal. It's some, it's, it's great. But luckily, and so since it's an any tag and I didn't kill a bull, I can apply again. It's a once in a lifetime bull harvest tag. A lot of people think you draw the tag once, that's all you can do. If I killed a bull, that was the case. And so since I killed a cow with it last year, I could apply again this year right away for that any tag. I've got to wait five years to apply for a cow tag, but I can apply immediately for an any tag, which I'm not going to draw it the next year. But it'll take you 
one to 20 years to drop again. <laughs> right. But you get a chance at one of them big old pools. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And so that's the nerve-wracking part, though, is because it's, you know, the season closes January 31st, and I think I killed it the 28th or 29th. Yeah, I know you had some work stuff, some other stuff going. It was yeah. it was the the last hurrah. Yep. So. Yeah, well, my, I, my buddy CJ killed them. Killed one a couple weeks before you did. Right. When they came over, and he's, he was up there for a week waiting for them to cross that come line. across that boundary, and they mm-hmm. finally did, and he finally got it. So right. So it takes time. It does. And it's, you know, I was thinking, you know, you can apply for your access to elk refuge so you can hunt it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to, you know, go November, December. There's nothing but elk on the elk refuge, and there's barely any of those because there was, if you get a mild winter like we had to start last year, they won't move. They'll stay up high. And these, I've talked to these outfitters that I went with. This last year was the lowest. Um, uh, number of animals harvested on record for the buffalo hunt because of the weather. February, they were everywhere, but the season was closed. And so these numbers were, you know, they're not getting quite reduced like they allocate tax for. But, yeah, it's it's not as easy as you think because, like you said, you see these animals in Yellowstone So Park. did you get that filmed? I did not. So that was one. That's the tricky part. So the state of Wyoming, especially in other places – National parks, national forests require certain filming permits, mm-hmm. and you have to have like $2 million in liability insurance, and they give you like a three-day window to do this. And so not knowing when this was going to be, and and we have to have the insurance set for this date to this date to cover it, we couldn't get in there with a camera. It was one of those. It would I would love to have that on camera. It was a great, I mean, we rode in on horseback in snow that was probably three feet deep, and if we didn't have those horses, that would have been... You couldn't have walked 50 yards, man. If, no, if anybody's ever no. tried to walk in that that depth, right. you're in your waist and you know. Well, then pack out an animal that size? <laughs> Not happening. Yeah. And they, the, the <laughs> outfitter yeah. had draft horses, right? They were like quarter horse, draft horse cross, and so they had these giant sleds they had made that had mm. a probably an inch and a half you know, diameter rope tied to it. So after we field dressed the animal, we literally rolled them onto the sled, tied them to the sled, dallied up around the horn on the saddle, and these horses drug these animals out to a spot where they could get snow machines in to take them out the rest of the way. And it was, I mean, that was something to be seen. That's crazy. It was, I mean. So I have all these fancy backpacks, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And Oregon, all I ever did was backpack hunt. Alaska, backpack hunt. I now have five horses for a reason. Right, Right. They Patrick's allergic, and we'll, we're going to work around that. But, you know, you start I'm putting. So allergic. <laughs> you can go with llamas. Llamas <laughs> is a thing now. So, yeah. 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 And but. you know what's funny about a llama? They'll actually stand up to a bear, whereas a horse will just take out running. <laughs> llama's That's like, true. bring it on. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, as a horse guy, whenever I see you llama people coming up the trail, I, I mutter under my breath because yeah. my horses hate llamas. Lo- every horse hates llamas. Well, I guess you could go with goats. There's pack goats. Yeah. Too, you know, yeah. I mean, you could do that. So The but goat the, whisperer. The wolves would like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I imagine llamas and goats are going to take quite a few of them to pack out a buffalo, let alone yeah. could drag horses. one with yeah. a rope. Yeah. So yeah. don't they have that tag and drag that's exactly deal? who i went with okay, it's a company yeah. called tag and drag so um ralph green he runs the company top-notch guy i mean literally he would stay in touch with you and say hey the herd's not here you know even if i even before i signed up with him and you know to go do this hunt sure. he uh he'd call you could call and talk to him he'd give you information he'd tell you where the herd was at even if you, he wasn't even if you weren't his client because when so. you shoot when he you're still gonna call me <laughs> still, still gonna, gonna call drag him, him. <laughs> even if he's not guiding you that's exactly you right you sneak out there and not sneak but you get out there in two feet of snow where oh, you can man. barely wait you yep. shoot one and all of a sudden you go i'm not you can't roll one of them over right right so they I do was, offer retrievals which is great for that reason for sure i was fortunate enough to you know i got mine in 16 mm-hmm. 
and I paid for a hunt on a it was a free range herd mm-hmm. on a on a big tract of land, but it wasn't a public herd. And uh, we killed him. If he'd gone another two or three hundred yards, he would have got down into rim rock stuff. Oh. oh no! We killed him. He was about a mile from the the ranch and the field and stuff up in the forest. But it took us two days to even find him. Mm-hmm. I, I went for a four day hunt, and it took us two days to find him. Thankfully, we were on a two track where we got the tractor to it. But right. dude, that you know, there's a there's a three year old bull in that seventeen hundred pound. Well, if you think about it, it's like you're hunting you're you're hunting a cow, like a moo cow. Literally, a moo that's cow. the size. Yeah, it's it's the craziest thing at all. We, moo we, cow with taller legs. Yes, and the faster. Those things you think of buffalo, uh, those things will do forty miles an hour on flat ground. It's it's insane. Once they get rolling, you better be out of the way too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's and these hunts are not like you see these you know, tourist needles don't think they can get twenty yards from them, twenty feet from them because they know they're safe there. You know these ones, it's I mean, luckily my shot was about forty yards, but and they're tough animals. You know, I put three rounds to the heart in the same spot, and that's what finally you know put her down. And it was a bigger caliber rifle. I was through shooting a three hundred uh, Winchester short magnum, and uh, they want you to collect incisor teeth and blood from the heart for the game and fish for biologists. Well, I couldn't get blood from the heart. The heart was gone. But she still went another 40, 50 yards after three rounds at the same spot. Mm-hmm. They are a tough, tough, tough animal. So so what, what have you been using uh, the meat for? What have you been cooking? Uh, What's do, your favorite? Uh, so f- the burgers have been phenomenal. Oh, we do burgers all the time. But uh, I think the most fun we had, we took a roast, and I seared both sides, or all four sides of it, and uh, we put it in the slow cooker and did shredded uh, buffalo tacos. That might be my favorite with that that whole. That thing. sounds good. It it, it was awesome. We Is just, it lunchtime yet? Yeah, it's getting it's close. Right? <laughs> I, didn't we ask that on the last one? Oh man! But, yeah. What I was surprised is good. you know usually hindquarters, mm-hmm. you know like deer, elk, antelope, they're always bigger. Mm-hmm. Buffalo, the front quarters are bigger. They get that big old hump they're supporting up there oh, too. Yeah, man, they they those things are built to. They're a little tank of an animal. I did mean, you did you do something with the hide? So right now I've got the I'm, even though it was a cow I'm still having a shoulder mount done because I may never get, draw the tag again. It's it could potentially be a once in a lifetime. So we're gonna have a shoulder mount done and then the back half of the hide still about another six feet of hide. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm having it tanned and then I'm gonna have like a set of chinks made from working my cows out of my house or anything like that. Just put my brand on it just because. Sure, I could buy a piece of leather and do it, but I mean, I harvested this animal. You know, we talked That's about awesome. It's pride, man. Yeah, I mean, we talk about gloves, jacket, or whatever, but we decided on the set of chinks. But it's woolies or no, no woolies. This can go straight leather. So, so I, uh, that was I, nice. I rugged my hole. Did you? Yeah, I just shoulder mount was a lot of money, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but I put it on the bed one night. My, I'm, like, oh, I'm gonna sleep with a buffalo blanket, right? Dude, you can't move your feet. No, they're and heavy. And you sweat to death. Dude, it's, that, that thing tanned is like 70-pound blanket. Well, that's why they can survive in those, you know, sub-zero temperatures. Oh, and yeah. It takes a lot of snow to move them. It's one of those, I mean, you said the cost of the whole hunt, though. I mean, you have not just the tag cost. There's the outfitter cost, the processing cost, if you don't have a facility to do it yourself. Because that's a big animal. Huge. You know? It took my wife and I a week on the kitchen table to get it. Right. And it took us another two years to eat him, too. Right. Right, so and uh, with we, we've done with ours since there's just two of us. We've made a lot of family members and friends and stuff. Like we filled a lot of freezers. Just it's going to take us a long time. Well, and the crazy part was we didn't think this hunt was going to happen because of how it all you know was working out. I bought two steers at the sale barn. Uh, literally a week <laughs> before I went on this hunt, 
That was poor and planning were, on your oh part. Oh my gosh, I didn't think that was going to happen. So they were, you know, they had like a the farm hoof or something like that. So we had them turn it into hamburger. So all of a sudden we've got four hundred pounds of hamburger show up that we're splitting with a few people. Like, you know, so we took like one hundred fifty pounds of it. Now I've got four hundred pounds of buffalo in the freezer and one hundred fifty <laughs> pounds of beef. It's like, Jeez. yeah, I didn't quite plan this out, but I got the opportunity. You sure as heck weren't going to say no. So no. wife drew a limited entry elk tag. Mm-hmm. I've got a general bull elk tag, but mm-hmm. we both drew uh, late season cow tags. Oh, nice. So we're we're gonna be trophy hunters for the first part of the season, and then we don't fill those tags. We're gonna go get some cows. For, oh yeah, get some go meat. Fill the freezer. Oh, yeah. yeah, but that takes all the pressure off me. It Archery does. season for it does. That's pretty, pretty nice. Yeah, I think it will help keep you guys busy at High Mountain too. Because oh yes, I plan on it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be busy getting meat, so yes. we'll, we'll need some cures and some other things. Yep, so. just give me a call. We'll get you set up. Whether it's for jerky seasoning or steaks or anything like that, absolutely. We've got the whole gamut of it all that we'll get you covered for sure. Yeah, for sure. So. Well, we're really glad you came on with us today to talk about filming. If you yeah. could just leave one thought with everybody on on outdoor filming, any suggestions? What would you tell them? Film everything. I mean, if you're going to do it, literally <laughs> do it all. film everything. You don't know what they're going to need for the shot. You really don't. I mean, some of the stuff that will make it in the show, you're like, I forgot I did that. Or mm-hmm. or why did I even film this? And it's like, oh, this is why I filmed it. Yeah, film it all. I mean, and don't script it. Yeah. Just just keep it fun and realize that you're probably going to mess a hunt <clears throat> up or miss a shot. And yep. Because we're all human. We're all hunters. I mean, you, hunters that aren't in front of the camera make this mistake. So it's going to happen. Or... Make sure the camera's off when you're singing to Miley Cyrus. <laughs> I'm getting that footage. That, that's oh, the that's man. the one. Make yeah. sure the camera's we gotta off. We got to see that. Yeah. We got to see that. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I don't know if Brad will get it for me. If you ask Brady, he'll he'll sell me out in a heartbeat for that one. So. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Well, everybody, get out there, buy your High Mountain seasonings. Um, again, it's based here out of Riverton. Great company, yep. family owned, and so. Definitely go check them out. And then, again, go to radcastoutdoors.com. You can listen to all of our shows right there on the website, or you can go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Please rate, review, subscribe. Uh, help us out in that way and keep this show on the air. If you're bow hunting, you might want to go look at uh, bowspider.com. Go bow spider. Yeah, that's one of those things you'll see on the show this year. We'll sneak it in. So Yeah, you definitely got to use it, especially if you're going to go uh, hunting out here in Wyoming. You're going to need it. There so. you go. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Till next time. See you guys. See ya. Hi, Hello, and welcome to the Indian Relay, a podcast from the Wind River Indian Reservation. Our people have stories. We have stories to tell about our culture, our land, and our history. We have conversations to share about our families, schools, youth, and events. We have wisdom from our elders, which you should hear. We laugh, we struggle, and we celebrate. We live on the Wind River, and we want to relay ourselves to you. Every episode of this show will be a little different as we bring together different hosts, elders, storytellers, personalities, language experts, youth, and more to laugh, learn, and share. This is the Indian Relay Podcast.